Welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Podcast. We're a real community of people who are passionate about pursuing God and growing in our relationship with Him. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit northridge.org.au. Welcome to week three of Exodus. This is so very good. So we have been tracking through this um, epic book of the Bible, and we've got this epic series. It's 10 weeks long in total. It's like a totally new undertaking for us doing a series that's that long here. Um, If you weren't here last week, Bonnie Giles was speaking about um, God's plan for us and how his plans for us tend to be better than our plans for us. Um, and so it's, good, it's, a, it's a good idea to step into his plans when we, when we know what they are. And so if you weren't here, I want to strongly encourage the, uh, you to have a listen to that on the podcast. It was really good. Uh, but we are trekking into Exodus chapter 3 this week and uh, a little bit of 4 as well. Um, and we're going to read that whole passage soon, which is really, I'm really excited about. Um, I love reading scripture aloud. It's good. Um, but what I really feel like God wants to speak about tonight, and I think it's so funny that Nick, when you were you were talking, you were just going on about this this thing of calling. Um, and you know, I think calling is it's a funny word, isn't it? Because I think when we say calling, um, everyone who hears that word in a church context has a slightly different concept of what that means. And I think the way that we all receive this word calling, I think it's different for every single one of us. You know, for some people, you hear calling and you're like, you know, I, I actually, I really believe there are people here tonight where I talk about calling and you feel that God is a significant call in your life, you stepped into that calling and you're living that out. And if that's you, then awesome. Uh, if that's not you, be encouraged because it's so, so very possible. I think on the far end of the spectrum, there's a number of people who when I say calling, it brings up really, really negative feelings and emotions. Um, you know, maybe it brings up a whole lot of disappointment because you feel that um, God has, has called you towards something and you missed it. Or maybe, maybe it brings up a lot of anxiety because you, you, you don't know what God's call is on your life and you're really struggling to find it. And so maybe that's you. Or maybe I reckon there's another proportion of people here who I talk about calling and you say, oh, you know, that, that's good. You know, there are some people that God calls, but for me, I'm quite happy just doing life. Um, you know, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, not, you know, it's a good thing, but it's not for me. What I want to do to start is before we launch into reading the passage, I want to set up a little bit of the context of this passage. I want to help us understand what it is we're reading. And in doing so, I hope that I'm going to bring us all onto the same page when I talk about calling. And so there's two things that I want to tell you. Um, about this passage that we're about to read. The first one is that, so Exodus 3 is uh, God's encounter with Moses at the burning bush. It's a really famous story, um, and I'm going to read in a sec if you don't know it well. But it's really the moment where Moses' ministry begins in earnest. It's the moment where God calls Moses into the, into the story that he's writing for his life. But you real, do you realize that where, when, where we're picking up Exodus chapter 3, Moses is 80 years old at this point. You know, if Moses was here, Bernie and I had this discussion earlier, if Moses was here, he would probably be the oldest person in the room. And you know, I think that's such wonderful evidence that age and stage does not disqualify us 
from receiving the call of God and responding to the call of God. It does not. It's not a barrier. Now, as I was writing this talk, I realized I actually distinctly remember the first time that I ever felt like I was falling behind in my life. Um, I was eight years old, and it's, it might sound a little bit, yeah, you, you laugh, exactly. Um, I'm eight years old, I'm sitting in music class, and we're watching this documentary on Mozart, the really famous composer. Now, Mozart was a bit of a dude. He, um, he was like a child prodigy. He didn't live for very long, but he achieved a lot in his very short life. Um, he first started composing music when he was just five years old, and he'd actually released his first full-length opera by the time he was 14. But little Chris is sitting in music class, hearing about the life of Mozart, and I remember being overcome with this feeling that I was like falling behind in my life, that I had some catching up to do if I was going to be like Mozart. <laughs> now, it sounds ridiculous, especially when you think about the fact that at this point I'm eight years old. But in all seriousness, I wonder how many of us wander around our lives comparing ourselves to other people and their achievements and their lives and being depressed about the fact that we feel like we're falling behind. We're not where we're supposed to be. Well, you know what? Moses was 80 years old when God called him to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt. Your age and stage does not disqualify you from receiving and responding to the call of God in your life. So be encouraged. Secondly, I want to point out that at 80 years old, I think Moses was doing pretty well because he was at this point in his life working as a shepherd. Now, often when we think about Moses, we think about either we think about this up-and-comer in Pharaoh's palace in the early days, or we think about the great leader of Israel that led the people out of Egypt and towards the Promised Land. But we forget that the middle portion of Moses' life, for 40 years, he spent doing pretty much the most mundane job that you could have. And you know what? He wasn't even looking after his own flock. He was looking after the flock of his father-in-law. You know, I think sometimes when we, when we look at people in the Bible, when we look at their life trajectory, we're kind of reading the highlights reel, aren't we? We sort of we start at the beginning, like the calling moment, and we see see to the end, and we basically we kind of like to draw like a straight line from point A to point B, and we're like, this is what this is what their life was like, you know, these inspirational people in the Bible. It's a bit like looking at someone's Instagram feed, isn't it? You just get the highlights, you just get the best best bits, and you just assume their life's amazing all the time. But, you know, we have forty years of Moses' life that we know almost nothing about. All we know is that he was a father, that he was a husband, he was a son-in-law, and he was a shepherd. And you know, I reckon there would be so many other threads in Moses' life that we would just never know until we get to meet him in heaven. Um, and you know what? I don't think the Christian walk is supposed to look like this. I don't think this is what we're supposed to take out of reading people's stories in the Bible. When God is involved, as it turns out, and what we find out in the book of Exodus and also into Deuteronomy, is that God doesn't usually take us the shortest route. And in fact, if you're living with God, then your life probably should look a little bit more like this. If you're on the podcast, there's a, a, a scribbly line that I drew and had a lot of fun drawing. You know what? Doing life with God can get messy, but isn't it so much better to do the journey? It's so much better. So I would suggest to you 
that calling is not a mandate that God puts onto your life. Calling is not some predetermined path, certainly not a straight path, but it's not even a a predetermined wiggly path that God has for your life that you need to somehow find and stick to. Calling is not that. Calling, at its essence, at its core, is an invitation from God that He gives to every single one of us. Calling is an invitation. Now, when we start to think of calling as an invitation and not a mandate, it changes the way we live. First of all, what we realize is that if calling is actually an invitation, then there is a calling that God puts onto every single one of our lives, whether you love Jesus or you're still figuring him out. God calls every single one of us into relationship with him, and that is the highest calling that you can have on your life. There is no thing that you could do on planet Earth that would be more significant than falling in love with your father. Secondly, we realize that if calling is an invitation, then it's actually possible to have more than one calling. You know, you might, you might have a, a calling to, be, to go overseas and to be a missionary. Or you might, God might call you to start a movement that's going to grow rapidly and change the world for the kingdom. It might be absolutely spectacular. But in another season, God might just simply be calling you to deeper friendships. Or maybe he's just simply calling you to live devoted to prayer. You know, I think something that we really struggle with in our society is that we mix up the size of a calling and the significance of a calling. The size of your calling is not the significance of your calling. They are different things. And you know what? If God has given you this calling, regardless of how big or small it is, then that's the calling that you need to be pursuing for your life. Don't go after someone else's calling because it looks fancy. But you know what? Probably, probably what the thing that stuck out to me the most as I was reading through this passage and considering calling, and this is where we're going to kind of go for the, for the next half of the talk, is that if we realize that this is, this is really, really critical. I really want you to get this. If we realize that calling is fundamentally an invitation, then by definition, it requires a response. If calling is an invitation, it requires a response. Now, I'm a millennial, and our generation is really, really bad at responding to invitations. Don't do that with God. I don't care what you do with your social life, I, although I'd encourage you to get better at RSVPing to things because it just helps so much when you're organizing events for church. But I just had to slip that one in there. But you know what? Don't do that with God. Don't be non-committal with God. When God calls, you say yes. You say yes. You say yes. And it's so good. I want to suggest that so many of us struggle with this issue of calling. And the problem is not a lack of calling, it's a lack of response. So, we're going to um, get in and read from the scriptures. I'm really pumped about this. We're, we've actually got like a chapter and a half to read. So, if you've got a Bible, I really want to encourage you to pull it out and read along. You know, I think these, these scriptures were originally passed down by, by, by spoken word. That's, that's, this is their origin, and I love that, when, I just think something happens in the spiritual when we read the scriptures aloud together, um, and I was, I was reflecting on that while we were away, so I'm really pumped to actually just, let's get stuck into it. 
So um, Exodus chapter 3. I'm just going to have a quick drink of water and prepare myself. Will you guys find it? I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It renders pretty closely to the NIV. Um, so I just encourage you to follow on in whatever translation you have in front of you. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I've been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I'll raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go, 
and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if, I, what if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, he was as, it, was, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they, do not believe you and, uh, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it onto the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've ne I never have been and I'm not now even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. The Lord, understandably, became angry with Moses. All right, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesperson to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, uh, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I've shown you. Well done. We made it. It was good. So what's just happened? So Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, of all places, um, with his flock of sheep, and he sees something really curious. He sees this bush that appears to be on fire but isn't being burned. It sparks his curiosity. Now, pause there. I love this so much. If you are struggling to discern God's call um, and will for your life, I want to ask you the question, what sparks your curiosity? I love the way that God catches Moses' attention and uses that sign, um, this, this moment of curiosity, um, to bring him towards his calling. So, God catches his attention. Then God kind of makes the pitch. He says, you know, I've seen 
all of the struggles of your people and it's time to fix it. It's time to get them out of Egypt and I have chosen you for this task. And I absolutely love God. Number one, he could have, he could have taken them out of Egypt on his own very easily. Number two, he could have taken them from Egypt to the promised land in 11 days. But number one, God chooses to partner with us. Isn't that amazing? And number two, he, t- he chooses to take us the long way because he knows that that's the best journey for us. And, but, Moses comes back with his laundry list of all the reasons why he's the wrong person for the job. Um, and every single time, I love the way that God does this. Did you notice that God never actually directly answered the objections that Moses had? Every single time, he didn't speak to the problem, he spoke to the heart. He spoke to the heart issue that was underlying um, Moses in this moment. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually want to suggest that this kind of interaction that we have with God is pretty common. Um, I had a, a wrestle a little bit like this a few years ago. Um, about three years ago, Jen and I went away for the weekend. Now, at this point, I'm, um, Jen's looking very concerned. <laughs> Uh, we went away for the weekend, and at this point, I was working as a graphic designer in a um, design agency, which was actually a job that I really loved. But um, as we went away, I, I just kind of I started to have this real sense, um, and God was really burdening my heart with this idea that um, He actually wanted me to leave the safety of the job that I had and go out on my own and start my own business. Um, now, I, I didn't say anything to Jen at this point, but I kind of... I kind of wrestled with this, and I was... Now, I don't, and God doesn't often speak to me this clearly, by the way. This is not the way that I always live my life. Um, I don't have a direct line to God. But um, I, didn't, I didn't mention it to Jen, but I, I kind of came back, like Moses did, with my laundry list of his, all of the reasons why that's not a smart decision. Um, and I kind of wrestled with this, and Jen was like, what is going on with my husband this weekend? Like, he's just... He's on another planet. Um, and she's nodding. <laughs> And on the final day, I was like, Jen, I just have this really strong sense like the Lord is calling me to leave my job and start my own business. She's like, oh, you should do it. <laughs> and suddenly, suddenly I had that moment of clarity that I needed to go, you know, if this is God, really God, then I don't really have too much to worry about. And you know what? I'm so glad I did because it was making that decision to go out on my own, to start my own business that has given me the flexibility and the time that I need during the week to be able to pastor effectively. It was just such an important decision, and it was so important um, to go with God. Now, not everything that you're afraid of is call- a calling from God, by the way. Sometimes it's just a bad idea. But in this case, in this case, if you, if you put your discernment hat on and it's really the Lord, then um, go with his thing, not yours. Um, but I think the point is that when God invites us into things, when God calls us, so often our first response, just like Moses, is to give him the laundry list of all the reasons why we can't do what he's telling us. So what are Moses' objections? I don't want to go through them in a lot of detail, but I want to give you kind of the crux of it. And the first one um, is, and this is, this is probably the one that speaks to me the most. The first thing that Moses said after God calls him to go and save his people is, who am I? Who am I to go to the Pharaoh? And who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? So it's, it's this identity problem, isn't it? He's like, I don't, I'm not the right person. 
He disqualified himself for no other reason than who he was. And I just absolutely love God's response. He doesn't build him up. He doesn't try and validate Moses' feelings. He said, but I will be with you. The antidote to our identity problem is not to be built back up. It's God's presence. It's so good. Next up, and this one's really interesting because I, what I read in this, Moses appears to bring a practical problem to God. He says, okay, let's say I do go and chat to the Israelite leaders. What, who, who are you? Like, like, what's your name? Like, what am I, who am I supposed to, which God do I tell them is sending me? And this is really interesting because I don't think Moses' problem here is actually practical. I think the thing that's getting Moses all tied up is that he doesn't know who God is. And it's really interesting. We see that mostly in God's response. And this is the only time that God actually gives two responses. The first time he says, I am who I am, which is probably one of the most profound and also the most mysterious statements in all of the scriptures. And I don't, I don't have the time or honestly the knowledge to go too deep into what that means. But what God is effectively saying is, I'm the God who doesn't need a name. I'm the God who is. I'm the God who is. And secondly, and this is really interesting, we notice this comes up a few times in this passage, um, God says to Moses, he, he reminds Moses of his story. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He reminds Moses of his history, and he's like, remember the God from all of those stories you heard growing up as a kid? That's me. I'm that God. Moses' third object, uh, objection, which, um, again, it kind of reads as almost a practical concern. Moses is saying uh, in, in chapter 4, uh, verse 1, he's saying, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? You know, he appears to be asking a practical question. I think the, the heart issue that's underlying this objection is actually, what are they going to think of me? And you know, it's really interesting the way God then chooses to respond to this, is he chooses to give Moses a demonstration of his power. And he kind of solves the practical problem, doesn't he? He says, if they have that objection, then perform these three signs, and then they'll know that it was really me. And he does go on to perform all three signs for the elders of Israel. But you know what? I actually think those signs were more for Moses' benefit than for anyone else's. Uh, the, the, uh, chapter 4, verse 10 is an absolute cracker. I think we all had a little bit of a laugh when he said this. Moses basically says, he's kind of running out of options here, right? And he, he says, but God, I'm terrible at public speaking. I can't do the public speaking thing. Anyone else here have a, a fear of public speaking? You know what? Mo, you're right there with Moses. You get him. I don't need to explain it to you. Um, I love... I love the way that God does this. He does this so often throughout the scripture. He doesn't say, well, well I'm going to give you a miraculous gift in public speaking. He says, I still want you to go. I'm not going to fix your public speaking problem until you're standing in front of the Pharaoh, and then I'm going to give you the words to speak. Oh, God, so it's almost rude, isn't it? But you know what? Um, when you do it God's way, he shows up so much more powerfully and so much more spectacularly. And then finally, Moses has basically um, run out of objections, and he just says, send, I love the way that the NLT translates this. This is the reason that I read out of here. He says, send anyone else. And you know how God chooses to respond to that? He, he puts Moses in a position of leadership. He's like, 
God's like, you know what? You want me to send someone else. I'm going to send someone else with you. And you're going to lead them. And you're going to tell them what to say. I love it. It's, it's almost like the most amazing bait and switch of all time. But I, I wonder if you can identify with any one of these um, objections. When, when God speaks to you, I wonder if there's something that really kind of resonates with you. But you know what? The thread that ties all of these things together is that when God is speaking to Moses, when he's inviting him to go deeper, when he's inviting him to change the world, Moses is looking down here. He's looking at himself. He's looking at all the reasons why he's not qualified, why he's not able to do the job that God is setting him up for, when he should be looking at God. Because every time Moses objects and says there's something wrong with him that means that he can't follow this calling, God doesn't pander to his objections. God just points straight back to himself and says, but think about who it is that's with you. You know, if God is going to invite you to do something, it's because he thinks you're the best person for the job. Otherwise, he wouldn't be talking to you. And he's the God of the universe, so he knows everything that you need. He, need, he knows everything that you need to be equipped to follow the calling that he gives you. And so how are we supposed to respond? What's a better model for doing this call and response thing when God comes knocking? You know, thankfully, the, the scriptures actually do give us a, another model, and um, I think this is really interesting. There's actually another situation uh, where there's a conversation between someone and God that also happens to happen, happens to happen, that also happens on a mountain in a garden. In Luke 22, um, there's this incredible moment of calling in Jesus' life. It's just hours before he's going to be arrested um, and taken away to be, uh, to be sentenced to death. God has called Jesus to set his people free from slavery in a foreign kingdom. Jesus is about to go and face off with the king of that kingdom. And so he goes up to a garden, the Mount of Olives, and he has this absolutely profound interaction with God. You see, in the face of this calling, I, I, I am blown away at how unbelievably real Jesus is with God. You know, in this interaction, at the end of, um, of chapter 22, it says that um, he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. You know, he's facing up to this call, this, um, this thing that God has put on his heart, and he has the guts to pray, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. You know, how incredibly profound that the Savior of the world would be so real with his Father, he'd say, God, if there is any other way to do this, let's do that. Any other way. But then the thing that he prays next, the bit that Moses, that Moses missed, is just is so incredibly profound. And I believe this, whenever God comes knocking, whenever God brings an invitation into your life, whether it's something spectacular or whether it's something profound but tiny, I wonder if we would have Jesus' response. He says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. 
not my will, but yours be done. God, if there's any other way to do this, let's do that. But I know that you know best, and so I'm going to choose what you have for me. So I want to kind of finish up by asking you three questions. And um, we're going to have a bit of a time in ministry shortly, which I'll I'll lead us through in, in a moment. But my questions to you are these. Number one, what is God calling you to now in this season of your life? Second question, what are your objections? Do you see one of them up on the screen there? And would you be willing to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done? So why don't we stand? Well, God, first of all, I just want to thank you that you always have our best interests at heart. God, that you are always leading us towards, towards our promised land. Lord, that you are always leading us towards eternity with you. And so, Lord, we just want to humble ourselves and just recognize that your plans are better than our plans, that your calling is better than um, anything that we'd have for ourselves. So we just want to humble ourselves and we want to say yes to you. Lord, I I guess I just want to take a moment um, to repent um, of all the times that I've um, that you, you've invited me, that you've called me, you've spoken to me, um, and I've ignored the call. I've ignored the invitation. I've hit maybe, and then left it there. Um, and Lord, I just want to thank you that um, you are a God who always, always, always um, will lead us forward, that we've never reached the end of your grace. We've never reached the end of your patience. Lord, I want to thank you that um, we are in a a room right now where every single one of us has an invitation and a call from you. And I want to thank you that every one of our our callings, every one of of these invitations looks different and that we don't have to try and be like anyone else. And I just want to, Lord, if there's anyone who is just suffering, um, trying to live up to the expectations of other people, we just break that now in Jesus' name. Hmm. Lord, if there's any there's any disappointment around this thing of calling, if there's anyone who's here tonight who feels like they missed it, Lord, we just break that lie in Jesus' name. And Lord, I want to thank you that um, in every single moment that you are good, your plans for us are good. Lord, that you would never um, call us into something that we couldn't accomplish because we have you. We have your presence. Lord, help us to be a people of your presence.